people were like how will this work they did not get us at all even today sometimes we have a hard time explaining to a vc that does not look at the sector aditi shrivastava ceo and co-founder of pocket aces had a challenging task raising capital where none had been raised before We know that it takes time. We knew that it takes effort, and we knew that we have to tell a story. It doesn't matter what you already have; it matters what you want to build and how you're able to convince anyone of it. When you're growing a business in uncharted territory, you might think raising capital means you need to throw out the rule book. But what convinces venture capital funds to go on a journey with your company might just be the fundamental principles that have stood the test of time. I'm Darius Teeter, and this is Grit and Growth with Stanford Seed, the show where Africa and India's intrepid entrepreneurs share their trials and triumphs, with insights from Stanford faculty and global experts on how to tackle challenges and grow your business. Today, we meet Aditi Shrivastava, CEO and co-founder of Pocket Aces, the company behind popular media brands Filter Copy and Dice, and shows like Operation MBBS. We learn how she convinced investors to take a series of bets on their strategy to entertain hundreds of millions of Indians in a rapidly shifting media landscape, from the very first angel investor to seed, Series A, bridge financing, and Series B rounds. Pocket Aces found the right partner to grow their business, but it wasn't easy. Like the rest of the world, India has undergone a media revolution. But just over the past decade, smartphone prices came down, and social media companies opened headquarters in the country. But the real inflection point came in 2016, when Reliance Infocom launched their Geo 4G network. Indian networks started competing to offer low-cost, high-speed data plans to hundreds of millions of young consumers. And with that, social media and online video boomed, setting the stage for companies like Pocket Aces. Pocket Aces is a digital entertainment company. We're focused on mobile video. Uh, we create content across genres and across platforms. The main problem we're trying to focus on is that there is not enough relevant content for India's youth to watch. So we have about 500 million Indians that have smartphones that have access to data. They don't have, uh, you know, TV. Mobile is basically the first preference, even when they do. I think for the first time in the last five to eight years, young people in India are creating content for other young people, and that has not been done before because young people were typically not looked at as consumers that had any paying power. and so uh, there was no inherent funding to create content for them so are you a technology company first a media company a content company an advertising company how do you describe yourself so we are a content creator and publisher with a data dna content creator because we write produce post produce uh, our own original content so we have a, a sizable team of creators uh, who are full time part of the company we also work with uh, hundreds of freelancers a year to, uh, to actually conceptualize and create content and it's all original content we own the ip of most of the content that we create i call ourselves a publisher because distribution is a humongous part of how we get our 
content out to this 500 million people, right? The traditional forms of distribution are very, very controlled. And literally the power is in the hand of whoever's choosing what content they can distribute on their platform. So very, very early on, we realized that we have to have some control over distribution. Uh, if we want to get the content that we want out to audiences and we want to uh, get their feedback directly. So we have our own channels across social media platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. We have our own app, a gaming platform called Loco, where we put out content and we work with, uh, you know, giving content to third party distributors like uh, Netflix, Amazon, etc. We also syndicate to TV and um, other mediums. And the third and very important thing is the data DNA. So, you know, I don't uh, often say that we're a technology company, but we're extremely data driven in our approach. Um, and that is how we've maintained consistency of quantity and quality of output over the last, uh, you know, five and a half years that we've been around. To what extent is the brand Pocket Aces actually known to anybody, to the viewers? I'm going to assume the answer is it's not. So could you just describe some of your big hits, shows and, and productions? So yes, the brand Pocket Aces is actually not very well known because it's more of a B2B brand. But the actual brands that are known are all our B2C brands, which are not just the shows that we create, but the channels that we have across these social platforms. So the biggest brand known to consumers is Filter Copy. Filter Copy is our short form uh, video channel. We have a channel on YouTube, we have a channel on Facebook, Instagram, Snap, very much inspired by the BuzzFeed of US uh, when it began. Our second highest known brand is Dice Media, our premium channel where we create larger production value, longer pieces of content. Uh, so here is where we've collaborated with uh, platforms like Netflix. In 2018, we became the first Indian company to have a multi-show deal with Netflix. So so Little Things, um, you know, has uh, three seasons out on Netflix. They've released in 40 countries. So that's one of the IPs of Dice Media. Similarly, we have many such. So another very popular IP is called Operation MBBS. It's a show about medical students uh, in college. So just to give you a sense of, you know, how big some of these are, Operation MBBS season one ha has 85 million views. And uh, season two has aired on YouTube and uh, it trended number one it, for two and a half days uh, on YouTube. That's India number one most watched video. Building such a successful digital entertainment company in just five and a half years is impressive. So how did they get there? Aditi and her two co-founders, Anirudh Pandita and Ashwin Shuresh, have known each other for over 20 years. And on paper, they look pretty similar. Trained as engineers and computer scientists, they all ended up in the finance industry in New York. But then 2008 happened. Wall Street was always extremely hectic, but during the financial crash, the hours became easier, right? Because the work slowed down a little bit. And so what we did is we held on to our day jobs, but Ashwin actually joined the New York Film Academy. And I actually joined various kind of development institutions in New York. And um, I got involved in the microfinance institution. So those were the first seeds of media. 
After a couple of years of doing that, we both realized that we like what we do outside of our day jobs so much better than what we do during our day jobs. So we actually decided to move to India to try out what if Ashwin worked in media, what if I worked in development full time. So we moved to India in 2011. We are the first entrepreneurs in our entire extended families, all three of us. Everybody is very service oriented. You go, you do a good job, you stay in that company for many, many years and you grow, 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 build a good retirement plan. And that's how you retire. Turning hobbies into career moves did more than just satisfy their curiosity. After a few years in the Indian film industry, they identified a huge gap in the market. There was little content designed specifically for young people. And that's how Pocket Aces was born in 2013. But when you're talking about a diverse potential audience of maybe 500 million people, understanding your customers is paramount. So Aditi and her co-founders turned to what they knew, data. In theory, um, you know, it sounds quite simple. Hey, you know, we create pieces of content. We control some of the distribution. So we put out those pieces of content. Digital is an interactive two-way medium. So we get a lot of feedback from audiences, millions of people who are watching that piece of content, quantitative as well as qualitative feedback. What we do is we create a lot of smaller pieces of content to test various things. And then we actually double down on the stuff that has worked and create larger pieces of content. Uh, And because we work across the social platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, they give us a lot of data in the back end. It's very, very insightful. So that's the theory. In practice, most people, what they do is in a, in a media company, you will have a data and analytics team that will be looking at all of this. They'll be mining data. And the huge loss in translation is how those insights get translated back to the people who are actually creating the next piece of content. Facebook was a cost-effective way to figure out which content was gaining traction by exposing their pilots to a large audience. And it was also a good way to catch the eye of venture capital investors like Pranav Pai. Hi, my name is Pranav Pai. I'm a founding partner and chief investment officer at 314 Capital. We're an early stage VC based in Bangalore in India. When Facebook was just about launching Facebook video in India, We were seeing a bunch of very interesting creators coming out, but really the only organized production company we saw were Pocket Aces. And uh, no, something uncanny that we saw happening was every video they put out was an instant hit. And these guys were getting to a million views in 24 to 48 hours. Back when, you know, India didn't have the kind of digital connectivity we have today. And remember, in India, we have a vastly heterogeneous population. There's over 30 languages in the mainstream, there are dozens of dialects, and of course, people from all parts of the country that are looking for different things in that entertainment. So to be able to make all of that work in a video format consistently meant that you were not just first, you were also amongst the best. And that combination really is something that you have to pay attention to. It takes a certain kind of investor to take a chance on a new market But Pranav is passionate about early stage investment because he's been there himself. Pranav left India to do his master's in the US and ended up working in a startup. It was a fascinating ride of of learning, building, working with teams, selling, of course, raising capital. The combination of things that you need to do in a startup just changed how I thought about how you can deliver value in an economy like India. And when I realized that, yes, actually the, the bigger problem here is capital development. And if we would be able to build a franchise that can 
consistently preempt the mainstream and just stay five years ahead of what's coming next, uh, we'd have an edge that very few other VC firms in India would have over us. 314 Capital invested in Pocket Aces a little bit later in our story. But back in 2013, at their seed stage, the company were looking for angel investment to create their first pieces of content. We have always been very bold when it comes to reaching out to any partners who we might think that we want to work with in any way. That includes investors, that includes people like Netflix. We always reach out to them earlier than most people think that we should. Again, I think our backgrounds really helped here because we come from the world of investment banking, because we co- we've worked in private equity uh, companies and stuff before. We very, very much knew what fundraising takes. So we know that it takes time. We knew that it takes effort. And we knew that we have to tell a story. And really, at the seed stage, It doesn't matter what you already have. It matters what you want to build and how you're able to convince anyone of it. And you just have to be a good storyteller. That was such a perfect quote. They're not interested in what you have. They're interested in what you want to build. So take me through that first pitch to that first angel investor. The one minute pitch was that nobody is creating content for young Indians We believe that we know what young Indians want to watch. We will create a slate of content which reduces the risk of investing in any one piece of content. This was our pitch for our angel because our angel had invested in like one-off movies before. So we, and you know, those movies had either done well or not done well. There's so many eggs in the basket that it's going to be, one of them is going to hatch. Exactly. So you will make money and maybe 20% will work, maybe 80% won't work, but that 20% will work disproportionately. So your money is safe because you're investing in a company and not directly in media properties. And with that, I mean, with the potential scale of consumers, if only 20% work, that still could be 100 million people. Again, Darius, you know, the interesting thing, and I'm, I'm being very honest here, of course, we knew that we had to like do the market sizing and we did, right? right? Because that's, that's one part of your deck. It has to be there. But that is not what convinced them. What convinced our angel investor was literally that this works. I will invest in a company that creates a lot of different kinds of content. Some will work, some won't work, and I won't lose money. It was literally that simple pitch that actually worked. I understand that part. The part I don't understand is the, hi, we're three engineers who went into banking and we are going to kill it on content in India for young people. How did you sell that part? You know, you take on different modes when you communicate to different people. So we were talking entrepreneur to entrepreneur. And that made a huge difference because They understood that we were passionate about something and that we probably were smart enough to figure it out. That's it. That was the pitch. We said, we are very passionate. Look, we left everything and we came. Our angel investor is, he was an entrepreneur himself. He was not, you know, somebody who had a job at his family office or at a fund. So he understood what it meant for us to come from middle-class families, what it meant for us to fight with our parents leave jobs where we were clearly getting beautifully overpaid, right? And start from nothing. So it was literally that he knew we didn't have a plan B. 
and that's what worked for him that they are going to put every ounce of their energy into making this plan A work because there is no plan B he just bought the fact that we will try till till we die so we appealed to the heart not so much only the mind because a lot of people can talk and appeal to the mind but if you want somebody to give you a half a million dollars uh, you have to appeal to the heart half a million dollars of their own personally earned money pocket aces needed half a million dollars and this angel was ready to lead the problem was they couldn't find anyone else to fill out the rest of the round and he said well just take the whole 500k for me and at that time for us it was you know the other bells kind of went off it's like oh we'll give up too much control to just one person and you know we said okay we'll let us come back to you but we had also really really liked him we met in his office then we met uh, at a restaurant then we met his entire family uh, like he wanted his wife his kids everybody to meet us and give him their take of us right he wanted to see how we're in social settings he asked us lots of questions about our parents our upbringing so in this whole process we had also gotten to know him and his family really well and we said you know i don't think that he's going to exercise some kind of control or you know really kind of tell us exactly what to do i think he trusts us and so we said okay let's go for it so just to be clear when you went to this first angel investor you didn't actually have a minimum viable product nope you had a concept yeah we had a deck we had exactly how we wanted to do things why we needed to exist uh in the current media landscape and we had two and a half years of experience of ashwin working in media in india and anirudh just came from wharton and i came from development shortly after this first round of funding and in the environment of cheap fast data pocket aces decided to shift their model instead of just producing video they also wanted to focus on digital distribution because their angel investor had been sold on the entrepreneurs as a team he trusted that they could make this new vision work the first injection of capital allowed them to create their leading channels filter copy and dice media but as their model changed so too did the size of the opportunity and hence their need for a lot more capital we had achieved product market fit on these channels we had released a sum total of maybe 10 videos and we started reaching out to two investors already because we foresaw that we would definitely need capital to scale this up when you're going to the series a you're talking to a very different type of person right you're talking to at best like a partner in in a vc firm usually you're talking to like an associate in a vc firm their job is to analyze 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 study different sectors uh, go after the sectors that are trending and you know media is never a sector that's trending medias are always giants right so did that make it hard for you to explain to vcs what you were trying to do like did they just not get you they did not get us at all even today sometimes we have a hard time explaining to a vc that does not look at the sector and then the so this is difficult for the sector agnostic guys to understand what we do now it's different because a lot of them are already audiences to what we do it was very difficult to explain how we would create a revolution in a sector where most of the innovation is just on 
what is created and not how it's created and how it's distributed and how you get feedback from audiences people were like no this doesn't how will this work like they just didn't mm-hmm. understand how this could be built so knowing that there weren't a lot of vc firms with expertise in this landscape how did you go about figuring out who to talk to we spoke to everyone <laughs> So that was how we went about it. See, uh, we always look at it Darius as like we'll just practice the pitch. It doesn't matter if this is not the perfect investor for us, you know, we'll just practice the pitch. And very often who you think is a perfect investor for you is not the guy who's going to give you money at that stage. That guy will probably come at the next stage. We spoke to 50 plus potential investors of all shapes and sizes right we did have some product to show them we had videos out on those channels some of those videos had gone viral and done really well and we had a partnership some semblance of a partnership with facebook to talk about and then we had our like big idea so our idea at that time started to look very similar to what it is now so we had that so we got a lot of second round conversations we got a lot of third round conversations but when people would try to make sense of okay you know so these guys are going to use money they're going to create content that they're going to put it out audience is not paying them right then they're going to go to brands we were pre revenue right so then they're going to go to brands uh who are going to advertise in their content but brands are not spending money on they are spending money on tv and all of this stuff so i think the the monetization model was not clear at that time and so in very much late stages we would get a no they didn't understand where the revenue was going to come from they didn't understand the revenue and they didn't understand how it was going to scale because at the end of the day you have to create every piece of content so how much are you going to create and it's completely a people business it's completely it's hands it's you're making it's like woodwork right you're going you're shooting something then you're coming back and you're editing it's physical whereas at that time this is you know 2015 when we were out raising capital we raised in 2016 everything was virtual you make an app and then everybody can use it even though they had achieved product market fit they didn't yet have a compelling business model and in a newly developing sector that makes raising capital for the series a round really tough here's how pranav saw it back then i can very confidently say there were maybe two or three vc investors in india that actually understood content it wasn't a very popular area it wasn't a part of the mainstream vc consciousness to understand why vc funds were hesitant about content businesses we spoke to sandeep singh of nexus venture partners he considered pocket aces during their series a round in terms of landscape we were not convinced that content was monetizable we spoke to various folks in the advertising space and so on to understand what is the kind of content that brands were looking at these guys came back and said the primary way that they would monetize initially was in content placement it was so new to the brand managers the ad agencies and the media buyers the feedback was yeah but it's small change right now people aren't looking at this as a way to to influence consumers and overall the ad based content market was very very small so we just weren't convinced around content as a space of course with the advent of cheap fast mobile data the market and sandeep's views would change the mobile screen has become the primary screen in india and uh, that has had a huge impact 
from a content consumption perspective and from an advertising standpoint. So we are now starting to see companies that are ad uh, driven, that are you know generating over a hundred million in revenue. More and more of the brands are now realizing the value of that digital uh, traffic and and spending money on that, which one could not have expected when Pocket Ace started. So yes, our views have changed from then. Pocket Aces was raising capital where capital hadn't been raised before. And some investors either didn't understand the opportunity or they were not confident that the supporting ecosystem would get there. But others, like Pranav Pai at 314 Capital, were willing to take a chance. We'd been seeing their channel grow for at least a quarter before we said, these are guys we want to talk to. Uh, So the interesting thing about being an early stage investor, Darius, is that if we do enough work on a market, uh, we usually have a fairly objective view of, okay, what's actually happening out there. Now, if you stay so grounded in the market of today, it's almost impossible to be confident about projecting out and saying, okay, you know what, in five years, this is going to change. So there's an important balance that investors also need to play between knowing today so well that you don't think about tomorrow or believing in something tomorrow without understanding why things are the way they are today. There's a balancing act early stage investors need to make between knowledge and a leap of faith. And I think the dimensions we have to work with are different from the dimensions a founder has to work with. So really the common thread is when both these bridges are built side by side. Although the company was pre-revenue, they ultimately managed to secure $3 million of Series A funding. But that took some explaining of a business model that was unproven in India at that time. So how did they do it? We started early. As I said, it took 10 months. So the advantage of starting early, and I tell all entrepreneurs, please start early. People are very shy to show their their product to be uh, to others. I don't I don't know why, because I, when you have a minimum viable product, you should be extremely proud of it because that itself takes a humongous amount of effort, luck, all of that, right? We went very early to people and during our conversations, we started some revenue. So right. what happens is you've gone to them at this point and say after a few months, you're here, then you're here. This delta means a lot to people. If I had gone to them at this point, they would still think we were early. They always want to see the delta, no matter where what your starting point is. Exactly. And that was key because even if we had gone to them with like $50,000 of revenue, who cares? It's $50,000 of revenue, right? But we went to them pre-revenue. So then even $50,000 in like five months was like, oh, cool. So you've started monetizing. Right. And then we launched another small channel and it was like, oh, cool. You've launched another channel. We'll hear more about Pocket Aces in just a minute, but first I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts. Are you concerned about an upcoming pitch? Are you anxious about presenting during a make or break meeting? Then tune in to Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. It's a show that's also hosted here at the Stanford Graduate School of Business by Matt Abrahams, a lecturer in strategic communication. You can listen to Matt's latest tips and best practices on how to become a more engaging speaker. You can find Think Fast, Talk Smart wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. In a new market, you can't predict the future, but you can demonstrate the direction that your company is moving. And that delta would prove to be a powerful motivator for Pranav Pai as well. I think the single most powerful way for a founder to convince an investor to to give you a check is to demonstrate growth. 
There are many ways to, to falsify growth or, or to grow the wrong metric, but real growth and real product market fit, when you see it, you know it. And I think most investors know it, right? And most founders know it, of course, when they have it. During Series A rounds, potential investors may ask questions related to the company's agility and ability to experiment in a rapidly changing environment. The investors we did get, so these guys, uh, Sequoia Capital, 314 Capital, and the others that followed, they didn't ask for those 80-point diligence materials because they understood that we wouldn't have them. But they asked for questions which were much more similar to the questions that the angel had asked us. How much are you going to keep trying? Do you have the ability to pivot? Do you have the foresight to kind of call bets early? And, and by, that, by that time, we had demonstrated a couple of these things that we called some of these bets early, right? For example, we chose to go with Facebook over YouTube. Everybody else was going on YouTube and that's the only reason we actually decided to go with Facebook. And there were other reasons as well because the shareability and the discoverability is much higher if you're a completely new media brand and things like that. So we had demonstrated some of those and that's how they took the bet. So you had a mix of Indian and international investors. Do you think that they came into this deal with different understandings about what they were investing in? And was your pitch different depending on whether the investor was an international or local? The pitch to people who had an international outlook was actually easier because you could take references like BuzzFeed. So we have a, a, a New York-based media fund also who was part of our Series A called North-based media. And it was the easiest to pitch to them. Because they understood media, uh, you know, the founders are ex-Washington Post and things like that. So they understood media better. Uh, they, they were seeing the future of media that was already playing out in the U.S. before it played out here in India. To the Indian investors, we focused on the audience story. So many hundreds of millions of people, they have cheap data, they want to consume content on an ongoing basis. Uh, you know, look, we've actually cracked some of this market because some of these videos have gone viral. So Darius, I also want to talk about something very interesting that Sequoia did. So we hadn't really started monetizing when they first gave us their term sheet. What they did was they said, okay, you claim that you are going to work with advertisers. They are going to be integrated in your content and they are going to see value out of this content in terms of whatever kind of conversion that they're looking for, right? We want to see how that works. Because if that doesn't work, advertisers won't give you money again. So what they did was they were conducting a hackathon for software developers uh, in India. And they said, we want you to create a video to publicize this hackathon. So we will behave as an advertiser. We will pay you to create a video to publicize this hackathon. Last year, we had 500 registrations. Let's see how many registrations you can drive to us which was exciting and scary at the same time, right? And that was such a brilliant way, I thought, that Sequoia tested whether our product works for monetization. We released that video on filter copy. They got 5,000 registrations. We had determined with them that 1,500 would be a great metric for success. The Series A round closed with Sequoia and 314 Capital as the lead investors. And Pocket Aces had the capital they needed to produce more content and grow their channels. But their new partners brought more to the table than just financial support. I feel like most entrepreneurs are shy to ask their investors to work for them and work with them to grow. We have been 
pretty good at that, uh, especially with a few of the investors that are the leads and we work with them very, very closely. So on our cap table, we have a few investors who are much more passive than others, uh, which is fine. Uh, we reach out to them for very, very specific things, you know, as one-offs when we require that. The help that we've gotten, number one, connecting us to investors for future rounds. Second, I think just what's happening in the ecosystem globally, they keep sharing with us as well. And the third thing is just um, like, for example, with Sequoia, we had uh, uh, their HR team working with us on some important hires. With 314 Capital, it's been very interesting because they have a team working with us my sales team and my revenue team on how they can help boost our revenues. And so these kind of functional help also is something that they've offered and we've wholeheartedly kind of accepted. The expertise that investors bring to a company is ultimately going to benefit both sides of the equation. And for Pranav Pai, that synergy is fundamental. We had a young team. So really the, the kind of insights we were giving them were insights that they were getting from their audience. Very few investors still have that attitude, that approach to VC. All over the world, I, I still unfortunately see investors that have a culture where, here's my term sheet, you know, I'm, I'm giving you very hard-earned capital, take it or leave it, right? I think if you have to build value on the, on the private side, you have to work with, with the founders. That's a privilege you have, that's an advantage you have. And that's something that if investors use, if they use this correctly, I think you can make magic. You said that most Early stage investors are not actively involved, but is there a is there some kind of a gray area or a line that an investor can cross where they're actually too much in the business and not trusting the entrepreneur to run the business? Absolutely, the, the words deep involvement on our website are very intentionally placed there uh, because most funds now want operational insight, and this means access to bank statements and credit card expenses and frankly things you really don't need, and that kind of interference really sets the wrong kind of cadence between the board and the founders. We are very clear what we won't do. We're very clear we're not going to win your deals. Uh, we're not going to hire for you. We're not going to build your product for you, although we could. <laughs> we enjoy, enjoy doing that sometimes. But really, I think there needs to be a frank conversation between the founders and all their investors with how that dynamic should be between each set of partners. And for us, uh, it, what we've figured out works best is a very honest conversation as we're closing the round saying, here's everything we can do. We have five teams inside the firm. Uh, we'll help you with recruitment, with technology, with, with, of course, capital development, fundraising, market access. And we'll help you, of course, make a plan, but we're not going to execute that for you uh, because that's interference. Getting the balance right between interference and advice is imperative. But when there are several investors at the table, Sandeep Singh believes that there's potential for too many cooks to spoil the proverbial broth. It starts with the founder themselves, right? So Aditi has identified that this is what Sequoia can give me and this is what my Indian investor can give me. So they are themselves making a choice saying, if Aditi is reaching out to someone for one piece of advice and she reaches out to another board member for the same piece of advice and the advice is diametrically opposite, it is a recipe for disaster. So as a board particularly on major issues, it is very important to coordinate. So how would Pocket Aces come to make decisions as a company in the face of divergent opinions and expertise? We're lucky to have an extremely good relationship with our investors. It's not that, you know, you, there's no arguments or there's no debates or there's no uh, hard times sometimes when you've got to make a hard call. You have to 
know that you are the expert in the industry that you're operating in. But B, you also have to be intellectually humble. Uh, I'll give you a very clear example, right? Everybody told us we should launch a content app. This was when the Netflix was just entering India and all the large media companies in India. So whether it's a Times Group or Z or Sony, all of these guys were also starting their content apps. They said that clearly this market is right. You guys should launch an app. Right. But we did a lot of thinking around what it takes for an app to be such an app to be successful. And the answer was that in India, again, you go back to the basics. People have a certain type of smartphone with a certain type of a space on it. They cannot afford to keep 100 apps. They choose which apps they keep. The apps they keep are the apps they open every day. Why will they open your app every day? They will open your app every day. If either you have unlimited amount of content like Netflix and Amazon and all of these guys do, right? So we said, okay, we get you that we need to launch some kind of app that people open every day. Let's think of what kind of app they will open every day. That's how we came upon gaming. Because if you like a game, you play thousands of times. So you don't have to have thousands of games. You can have 10 games that people really like. So we said we accept your thesis of why we need to launch an app, but we don't think that this is the right kind of app to launch for a business like us, whose forte is creation of content, not buying content from other people. The Loco app was a totally new product that Pocket Aces hadn't accounted for in their Series A round. So the founders decided to raise a bridge round. When we launched Loco, we said, okay, we need capital for this because launching an own app is actually quite capital intensive. So why not just go straight to Series B? We needed money very quickly to show that initial kind of product market fit. And I think even the investors were excited to have the pie to themselves at that point, because as I said, we had co-created this idea with them, right? So they were very excited to just fund it initially and see where it goes. Then make it big and then have other people come in at higher valuations. For Pranav Pai, on the investor side of the equation, the success of Loka confirmed the strength of their relationship again. Funny story about 2020 in India is uh, because of Chinese apps being banned, and of course, because of the lockdown, that combination of events really made Loco very quickly become the most uh, popular game streaming app in the country. It's now got a few million MAUs. The growth that this app saw gave a lot of confidence to the founders that the time had come to spin this thing out and really for it to stand on its own legs. Uh, now, that's, of course, a difficult conversation. When you spin out a fast growth asset from a company that's already growing fast, and growth is obviously a very important currency for this company, what effects does that have on the parent company? Which founders will leave with the new asset? How do the teams think about working with two separate companies now? What kind of rights will you need to give your investors? Because they put obviously put a lot of capital to work to make that asset as valuable as it is today. And of course, what kind of investors will you raise from next? Because uh, game streaming, in theory, is a significantly different market compared to the standard digital production that Pocket Aces engages in. Uh, so uh, that board meeting had to be a very long one, a very well-prepared one, and frankly, uh, a very intense one. And at the conclusion of that, again, just like any other meeting with these guys, and that's why I like working with them, is we had a set of scenarios. And for each scenario, we had uh, you know, boundary conditions. Uh, we were able to say, as investors and as founders, when would we say no? When would we say yes? How much would our yes mean? Uh, and I think these guys were very well prepared to go out to the market then and test 
what kind of scenario Loco would face. I'm very happy to say Loco faced the highest possible rewarding scenario of all the ones we planned for. There was immense demand for that company. Uh, so that was a great example of how founders, investors, partners, employees, everyone came together to make a decision, an important one, a, a game-changing one, and made it work. Pocket Ace's growth trajectory has been impressive. Their first angel investor allowed them to create content. The Series A enabled them to produce more content and grow their channels. And the bridge round helped them to develop the new Loco Gaming app. So in 2018, Aditi and the team wanted to raise funds once more in order to scale their business. And for their Series B round, which took 10 months to raise, they were open to a wide range of investors. We had all of these high growth aspirations, which of course we continue to hold. And we were looking for someone who will come and spur those aspirations like crazy. So we were actually even looking for Chinese capital at that time because a lot of Chinese capital was coming into India and they were investing large amounts at very good valuations. And we knew that we didn't want some kind of bubble valuation, but definitely, you know, the amounts they were interested in investing were very attractive. And actually, that's how we had started looking. And we got a term sheet from, um, you know, one of the uh, several Chinese investors that was active in India at the time. And... Uh, they pulled out at a very, very crucial stage when we thought that we had the round almost closed. They pulled out because of the macro stuff that happened with them in India. And of course, you know, the, the that macro and geopolitical stuff has become much more serious now. But even at that time, macro for them also meant macro for their business. So they were running uh, their business and their brand in India. And because of what happened, they kind of decided to halt in India a little bit. Uh, so they pulled out of the three investments they were making at that time. So that was really, really a big, big setback, after which we pulled ourselves together, started again. The Series B happened in two five-month cycles. So it took 10 months, but we did get the first term sheet in five months and then had to actually start over. And uh, in hindsight, very, very happy about uh, the second approach we took, which was going with people who understood India and, and who would fund our growth, but also kind of understood that th these are two different types of growth paths that we're taking with the content business and the local business. And they were okay with that combination. Despite the initial setback, they were able to start again and find their Series B investor. Raising funds requires substantial time and effort. And Aditi is very candid about the fact that rapid growth is a choice. It directly determines how much time you can spend with your family, how often you call your friends, how often you speak to your parents. Uh, it directly determines how many more hobbies you have remaining in your life. And sometimes, you know, we look at some of the... the Investor World calls, calls it lifestyle businesses, right? Which basically fund your lifestyle. And sometimes, you know, you step back and you're like, wow, you know, that sounds nice, right? Like, you know, you're running a business at whatever pace you want and it throws back money every month and, and that's how you live. That's your job also. And when you go on a vacation, nothing happens in those couple of weeks and that's okay, right? Versus when you're building to make a dent in the universe, Sometimes you wish you didn't want that, but we as people want that, right? So um, I, I think it's the, the choice of building to scale and building for equity value and building so that you leave a legacy after you're gone. 
that's how we are building. And that takes a toll on everything. And that also determines how you raise and who you raise from, right? Because those guys have to buy into that story. You listed a, a series of sacrifices to go from a lifestyle business to a growth business. Were those, is that your personal list? Yeah, 100%. Wow. You know, whether you can buy a house or not, like at what age of stage of life can you buy a house? Do you have children and how much time you can spend with them? Everything is determined by, I think, for us, you know, how we're growing Pocket Aces. At times, the entrepreneurial dream can seem bittersweet, but Aditi and her co-founders are still hungry for more. And Pocket Aces continues to grow. They've added new channels to their company even during the pandemic. The local gaming app has taken off and their partnerships with international companies like Netflix mean that new markets are within their grasp. And Pranav Pai of 314 Capital is certainly looking forward to their next moves. I think the interesting thing about uh, the space Pocket Aces is in is they don't need to have a presence in every country before they expand to that market. Uh, so they've already, as you said, tested out what it would look like for Pocket Aces to publish content in the US, in East Asia, in Southeast Asia, in the Middle East. And I think so far, all of their experiments have largely given us confidence that when we have a large enough inventory, when we have enough shows and enough, enough content, and we have reliable partners we can work with in these geographies, uh, we have no problem expanding as quickly as we can. Uh, I'm also very happy to say that the Loco spin-out means we have two interesting content companies with excellent synergies, building in two very diverse uh, verticals. Uh, so I think that combination should also make for a very different next five years for Pocket Aces. And of course, we're very excited to stay invested. We're investing in the next round, and we want to make sure we continue working with these guys as closely as we have. Whatever the future holds for Pocket Aces, it will be bolstered by the strength of these partnerships that they have forged. So I think that's uh, one thing that maybe for other entrepreneurs, whoever will listen to this podcast, uh, I think it's important to kind of know that you know, you're always raising. We are in the market again. We're raising our next round. Again, you know, we're evaluating different types of investors based on our growth plans. Uh, we're also evaluating international investors, etc. So again, you know, you never stop raising. And it always takes time, no matter how big you are. As we come to a close on today's episode, I'd like to thank Aditi Srivastava for sharing her experiences with us and Pranav Pai and Sandeep Singh for their investor insights. As we've heard, raising capital where none has been raised before can be a challenge, but the fundamental principles don't change whether you're in uncharted territory or not. It's important to find the right investor that shares your vision and can bring their expertise at every stage of your journey. And when that relationship works, that's where the magic happens. Pocket Aces is just one example of the absolutely phenomenal types of companies being built in India. I must admit, I didn't think India would be where it is today in 2021 when we started uh, almost six years back. Uh, so to see that an ecosystem this large, a country this huge, uh, can grow so quickly and can continue growing consistently, this led me to conclude that there's some things you cannot prepare for and some things that are so wildly positive that you need to be able to embrace many years in advance. So I must say, to, uh, if, it is a, if there's a question to be asked, it's what, what did you learn from India? What's going on over the last decade? I must say it's been transformational. And I'm very excited to see what's yet to come. This has been Grit and Growth with Stanford Graduate School of Business. And I'm your host, Darius Teeter. If you want to learn more about raising venture capital, 
follow us now. You'll be notified about upcoming episodes, including one where I take a deeper dive with today's VC investors. To learn how Stanford Graduate School of Business is partnering with entrepreneurs throughout Africa and South Asia, head over to the Stanford Seed website at seed.stanford.edu slash podcast. Written Growth is a podcast by Stanford Seed. Lori Fuller researched and developed content for this episode with additional research by Jeff Prickett. David Rosenzweig is our production coordinator and our executive producer is Tiffany Steves. With writing and production from Isabel Pollard and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>